1: And welcome back, everybody. Jimmy Kolb coming to you here for the Strong Power Podcast. I have another guest with me here today, Travis McKinney. How are you doing today, Travis? Doing pretty well. How are you doing, Jimmy? Doing fantastic. So I've had more extended interaction with you as opposed to uh, other people that I've had on here. We've been talking for quite some time online, at least. Yeah, I've reached out a handful of times. You're one of my go-to guys when I have questions about the bench. (laughs) believe it or not just the bench nothing else though well uh, give it time we'll see when you get that total again we'll get yeah yeah for real for real um so just really man just uh kind of give us an idea (laughs) of uh who Travis McKinney is where you live uh what kind of training you do where do you train that kind of thing uh so to get started my name is Travis McKinney I grew up in Iola Wisconsin real small town that nobody's ever heard of Um, I moved about a half hour away to Stevens Point to go to college, got my undergraduate in dietetics, UW Stevens Point. I have a minor in sociology. Uh, Later moved over to Appleton, Wisconsin, which is about an hour from that, and I'm currently getting my master's of food and nutritional science online, so that's all virtual. Um, I'll graduate here in May, so I'm about done with that. I'm currently 26 years old. and then about the only other interesting thing is I have about 10 years in the Army Reserves, so I'll be approaching, I'll be approaching that 10 years come April, April 1st. 10 years, man, that's, that's impressive. I uh, i did four in the Marines, that's all I could take, so hats off to you for being able to to do more than that. 10 years, that's a long time. Uh, the Reserves ain't too bad. Oh, they're not too bad? No, it's it's a little different on the active side. Not too much different, but. Gotcha. I was going to say it's, I think it's a, from what I've seen, cause I was stationed at Fort Lee for a hot minute when I went through schooling and uh, different world, just going from branch to branch that definitely way different world. Uh, certain things were similar, but um, it was just cool to see the, inter- the, the interactions between uh, like, say like, I guess the, I don't know if you call them staff NCOs, on your side or not, but the high rankings versus, say, the junior. uh, I think at Fort Lee, they were still considered, what are they, not cadets, but um, they weren't, they hadn't totally graduated and became soldiers yet. So whatever, whatever that's called. Yeah. So at at basic training, we just call them trainees. Um, You could call them recruits, but trainees is the technical term now. So that's what they really want you to follow trainees Um, yeah cadets are rotc students so they're kids that are trying to become officers but they're still in school gotcha gotcha yeah okay so trainees that means yeah so for us fort lee so they had they had gotten through their basic and then at fort lee they were technically going through their um, uh is what the army calls it individualized training that's it that's what it was yeah so i got basically i was just saying different world it was cool to see the difference Um, yeah maybe if i went that route i'd still be in who knows i haven't had too much experience with the marines um probably good we've had a lot of people we've had a lot of people that quit the marines and came to the army that's quite a few Um, yeah yeah i've had more interactions with the air force and it the grass looks greener i'll tell you that right now yeah Mm -hmm. um i did over this last summer i did two weeks i think it was only two weeks over at fort dix new jersey Mm -hmm. um and so that's there's a joint base i think it's joint base dix and lakehurst i think is what it is um lakehurst is the air force side and there's a there's a distinct line through that post that you can see where the army ends and the air force begins like (laughs) the grass is literally greener on the air force side yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Literally greener from one side to the other. Yes. Yeah. Amber Hansen, my one good friend and training partner, she is still active uh, air force. And when me and my other buddy Alfredo would talk Marine Corps stories, he's getting out here in a month or so. She's like, Jesus Christ, you guys do that shit. Like that's what you guys like. Good. Guys. Like, she's completely set aside by what we have to say. So I thought that was, Kind of cool. But thank you for what you do also. I wanted to make sure I said oh, yeah. thank. thank you. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, guys. So yeah, 10 years in the Army Reserve. Still still going out after 10 years. Um, so I know you, you're 26. You've competed quite often. I just saw you competed recently. Um, so what kind of, I guess we'll call it programming, do you follow? So it was very random, very sporadic up until about quarantine. Um, after quarantine hit, I took the time to really learn the West Side mentality. And I've been following conjugate style for about the last two years. And my numbers have skyrocketed. Like it gets a lot of hate, but it works well for me. And I, I really enjoy it, the whole West Side style. Um, so the style program would be conjugate. And unless you're at West Side, nobody actually does West Side. But right. I, Try to emulate the best that I can. Um, yeah, no, I I enjoy it. The crazy thing that I found about it was when I was doing my own random sporadic stuff, I was on my own falling back on the stuff that Louis preaches. So whenever my bench would be stagnant, I would toss bands in the bar, do speed stuff for about six weeks, and then I would hit a five or a ten pound PR. And then I start reading book of methods. And he just has percentages and sets and reps applied to it. Um, mm-hmm. I did a lot of accommodating resistance. I took out an extra student loan a few years ago and bought a home gym. Hell yeah. And <laughs> I, had a, I have 120 pounds of chains. So I would always deadlift against chains because I don't have a platform. Mm-hmm. That made my deadlift go up. So it was doing a, doing a bunch of the stuff that they talk about in Book of Methods started making my lifts go up. Then I read Book of Methods, and he just has it organized. It's more structured than what I had. Yeah. But so I had, by accident, been doing the stuff that he was doing already. And it's more than just that, but those are just two examples. Right. Yeah, no, I I, don't – I don't I – don't, you say it gets hate. It does get hate, but it also, it also produces and has produced some of the best athletes in the powerlifting realm that the world's ever seen. So, hate it or not, it does work. Now, just – for me, it, it, it didn't work. I tried it uh, multiple times doing the dynamic effort, max effort, the, uh, the pendulum waves on bench with the bands and the different bars and the percentages. I tried it to a T and it just didn't work for me. But I'm really glad to hear um, that you found use with it and it actually made you better. <clears throat> um, that's interesting. Uh, I, don't, I don't have a lot of people on here that follow Conjugate And they kind of do their own thing, but then I see somebody like yourself, who's putting up some pretty impressive numbers, and you follow the conjugate style. So that's awesome. That's a good uh, correlation. I would say that one of the biggest errors that I see. So two things: one, people don't follow the percentages. So like their speed work, they might be doing speed work at or dynamic effort. I'll say they might be doing their dynamic effort with fifty percent and twenty-five percent resistance, whereas. What, what you're supposed to do is do about 35 to 40%. So they're, they're overshooting their numbers a little bit. Um, the reason for it is because you're trying to produce the most amount of force possible. And force is defined by the physics equation. It's mass times acceleration. Mm-hmm. So in order to maximize that velocity, you need to have that lower percentage. So right. when, you, when you add the weight to it, you're actually decreasing the velocity, which decreases the total amount of force output. Gotcha. Oh. I think I've heard Matt Wenning talk about that he uses those lower percentages in the yes. 30, 35 to 40 instead of 50, 55, 60. That I see. Yes. I think that's a common way people do it. And he actually advocates for going even lower than that. Um, so I, I am familiar that Matt Wenning did mention that. Um, I know the answer already, but for the audience, are you equipped or raw? So I actually fought back and forth. Um, lately, I've been equipped for about the last two years. Equipment is where I feel the most comfortable. That's where my home's always gonna be, but I have nothing against raw. And I actually competed raw for a couple of years. Um, I have a, I actually have a pro total at the 198, 220, and 242 class all raw. And that 242 was a missed weight because my scale broke. And so I thought I was I thought I was about 218, but I weighed in at 223. Damn. <laughs> yeah, I did that one time. I was in a, at a Wabdell meet in Ohio doing bench, single ply. And I was trying to make the 220s to break the, oh, Christ, to break a Wabdell open world record. It was like 710 pounds. And I was 222 or something, like really close. And instead of sweating, I wasn't a fan of like sweating it out, going to a sauna. So I stayed 242 and I ended up surpassing Jason Action Jackson Jackson's uh, equipped record instead, which is a more prestigious record to go for. So I was kind of fortunate that that I made that mistake. That works. That works in the end. So, yeah, I did. I was pretty now (laughs) because my opener was so high. They kept, they said, well, so Jason Action Jackson has the open record, but because they opened higher than expected, they said, well, we're going to classify you as elite open, a whole different division. So I surpassed his mark, but I didn't actually break his record. Okay. Which was odd. I thought that was a little bit strange, but yeah, so you've got a pro total raw in three different weight classes. Yes, and those are based on the XPC standards. XPC, gotcha. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's a that's a pretty big Fed. They, uh, they've they been around since, what, 10 years now, haven't they? Something that's, like that. I think they took over when the WPO left the Arnold. That's so It okay. would have been like 2010-ish, if I remember yeah. right. 10 or eleven. Okay. that's about right then. Yeah, whenever Karen Kidder went bankrupt or whatever the fuck happened. Yeah, now, that was 2007, but it took a, there was a couple years gap in there. Okay, so, gotcha. Yeah. 07 was the last of the original WPOs. One of the, the golden eras of the uh, multiply world, in my opinion. It, I kind of wish I was a part of that.
0: I'll be honest. Was, that looks like it was fun.
1: I was still in high. I was right at the end of high school, and that was going on. So I only got to see that era on, like, baby YouTube and stuff. When I, you yeah. know, so, Yeah, I wasn't able to experience it firsthand. I was a little bit late to the game. but So two years equipped pro raw total in three different weight classes, which is exceptional. Very, very, very awesome. So what's on the flip side, then what have you done uh, on the equipped side of the sport? Um, so I've always flip flopped back and forth uh, when I was in. So when I was in high school, I started competing in 2010. When I was in high school, I did the USAPL stuff. And that was all single ply. I never really did raw with the USAPL. Um, mm-hmm. And still don't have an interest in competing raw with sleeves. That just doesn't sound fun. No. If I'm going to go raw, I'm going to put wraps on. Um, yeah, full advantage. Yes. yes. So I did that. Um, I did that first, and then after I graduated high school and decided I didn't like walking out my squats, then I switched over to the whole raw stuff because I didn't have didn't have the training partners that I would need to continue with the equipment. Mm -hmm. So I figured raw is a way that it would lower barrier to entry and I'd be able to just compete I'd actually be able to compete again. Did that until 2018 or 2016, 17, I bought my home gym and then got back into the equipment and I tried multiply again, or actually that was multiply for the first time. Tried multiply, didn't work out too well. Um, I was training in my basement by myself. And so I like I, I had the rogue mono hooks and they were great. Those were wonderful. But trying to lace up my ultra leviathan by myself didn't work. And even if I could bring a classmate over, you know, just come watch me lift for the evening and lace it up for me. Yeah. Which is usually what I did. I still struggled to, I mean, I would be lifting without a spotter. So you're trying to do, you're trying to do a meat prep, heavy lifts, and there was no spotters, nothing. So I had a couple of close calls. Oh well, you're still here with us, uh, seemingly well. So I guess close call meant it was just close, and he didn't get hurt or anything. No, um, I did dump 900 pounds over my neck, though. That was interesting. Oh boy! Um, thankfully, the squat bar survived it.
0: Okay, and that good. was kind of my
1: that was my wake up call that I probably should go back to Raw for a little bit longer. Um, then I did Raw. Well. Competed at the Arnold in 2017, bombed out in 2018, because my well, an excuse, but my my stretched out Mm -hmm. a lot during that training cycle. Um, so I actually missed all three squats in the bottom of the squat without Mm -hmm. any form breakdown. Damn. Yeah. Gotcha. Um then 2019 and 2020, I competed at the Arnold Raw. And then after March 2020 is when I hopped back into equipment. And yeah, so it's been going on for about two years with my second stint of multiply. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, I totaled 24,36, which right. was that was good for number 16 all time, and number 10. Oh the squat was number 10, 10 or 11 all time, I believe. And then the total was number 16. Unless I have that flip-flop. Which well, weight class are we talking about? 220, 220. Holy shit! yeah. So it was 24:36 at 220. I actually waited at 215 that meet. So via, what was your squat, bench, deadlift at that meet? So that was a thousand eight squat. That was my first thousand pound squat. Oh yeah. Uh, I had a 688 bench and a 738 pull. I went eight for nine for the day, and I had just missed. I had just missed a 766 deadlift that that was above the knees. <laughs> Shit, that's those are some impressive numbers, especially given that you're such a low weight class and that you're 26 years old. Yeah. That, well, well, thank you. I'm I'm trying. That's it, it's working. <laughs> no, it is working. I can definitely tell that, that I like that you're you're across the spectrum of the sport. You've got the pro totals again, everybody in three different weight classes, pro total and three weight classes plus one of the highest totals ever done at 220 again only being 26 years old that's that's very impressive that uh, thousand pound squat is something I never accomplished uh, in my in my earlier years of full power lifting've got a couple 900s my bench was always exceptional that's uh, but that's all that's the only thing I really give a shit about then my deadlift was always subpar to, I'm not built for it but I'm working on it right now so we'll just see we'll just see what the what the future holds anyway well, but, you, um, you can build that uh you can build the total with your subtotal yes well that's that's precisely what I have to do. yeah yeah for real I I, <laughs> I have to uh, I have to literally rely on the squat and bench because I know for a fact I cannot deadlift I just I could maybe get. Good at it, but I'll never, I'll never be world class because I, I'm not going to beat somebody who's built to do it. Right. So that's you know I can get good at it, but somebody that's genetically born to deadlift, I will never beat that person because I'm just not born for for it. I was I was having this conversation the other day. I was having the conversation the other day with one of my friends, we were talking about. So every once in a while, we'll just brainstorm and come up with random scenarios. And I was I was talking about. You trying to go uh, full power again, and I said it's going to be hilarious when he squats a thousand, benches eleven, and then pulls seven hundred. That's that's precisely what it's probably going to be because that's yeah. it, just that's just reality. My my goal my so I'll tell you my my actual goal right now because I think I've made it public on a couple of here and there I've made it public, not really on the big platforms. That I'm going back to full power eventually. As long, my goal is just to be able to consistently be able to pull seven. That's it. I'm not going for seven fifty or for eight. If I happen to get up there, that'd be just bonus points. But as long as I can pull seven hundred, no shit. That's that's all I need. I will go ham on the other two lifts, but I have to just face reality and just realize I cannot deadlift. So, yes, that is exactly, you're, you're right on the money. Um, you have a grip issue? I never, well, for as, I don't have, I don't have small hands, but I don't have large hands. My problem is that from all the heavy benching and things, I've got very thick. Yes. Normal sized hands. So they're not like overly small, but so, uh, no, I've, always, I've never lost a deadlift competitively from grip. Okay. I just, I just lose the deadlift because I just fucking suck at it. That's, that's, that's it. But no grip has always been okay. My general rule, whenever I do deadlift or train for it, whenever I pull from the floor, it's strapless. That way I can maintain grip. Now, if I do blocks, block work or rack pull or any kind of back work, I always use straps. Okay. Okay. I don't want my grip to limit how far I can push my back. But when I do pull from the floor, I even told my crew, like, haze me or do something, like, fuck with me if I decide to use straps off the floor. Like, do not let me do it. Like, don't let me get away with it. Let me pull without them, please. And they stick to it pretty strong. That's so, kind of funny. It has to be that way because I just, I have to, I have to be honest with myself. But uh, what, uh, <clears throat> so we just started the new year. So I'll ask what your current goals are, let's say, for this year. What's your current goals? And then what's, by the time you're about my 10 years from now, what would be your, like, long-term goals? So my goals, they change back and forth. But the one goal that has stayed consistent, um, when I first started, when I got introduced to the competitions at 14, I made the the lifetime goal that if I could ever – squat 1,000, bench 700, and deadlift 800, I would be happy, and I gave myself till the 220 class, because I was about a one, just a hair over 165 at the time, and that was 12 years ago. I was 14 when I said that, and so yeah. now I'm now I'm to the point where that's really, really close. Uh-huh. If, I, if I could reach those numbers, I'll be satisfied, um, but so currently my, currently my goal for 2022 um, I want to squat the APF national squat record. Um, So that's 1,030 set by Brian Carroll in 2009. Oh, shit. Yeah. So 1036 is the goal. Um, And I'd like to get the total record. I don't know if that'll happen this year, but that's on the radar. The total record, if I remember right, it's 2550 or 2556. Uh And I don't remember who that's set by. It might be Sean Frankel um yeah yeah maybe because he so sean set his i think it was 2700 at 220 he got that in the spf i'm going for the apf records oh i see got it yep right um so the, the 1036 squats kind of the short term and then i want to bench 700 this year um preferably a little into the 700 720 730 ish And then I just want to set a deadlift PR. So 750 ish. If I could get those numbers, that'll put me upper 24s, maybe 25. I, with those, yeah, I think you would be very close to 2500 because we got to make up about 70 pounds. No, I think you would be at 2500 with those numbers. So very, very, very within a stone's throw of your what we'll call it the 2556 total okay for the, for the APF. Very, wow, that's, you're right there, that's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, and then long, long-term goal, I wanna get an all-time world record. When I was younger, I always thought that was cool. And I, I thought that was cool, but not for me. And now I'm kinda close enough that now it's on the radar. And so the, the squat record, the 220 squat record is 1,100. And I got 1,008 this year. Is that a Sam Bird type record?
0: That is a Sam Bird type
1: record. Ah, okay. <laughs> um, yeah. And then Sean Frankel through. has the total record at 2,700. Right. And that's, you know, that's a little far out there, but eventually maybe that would be kind of cool. I, Well, the way you're going and what you've already done, I mean, you've got the... You've got the squat and the deadlift capabilities. Your bench is right up there with, you know, a pro level bench. That's only going to get better from here. So, yeah, I think these are not only exceptionally just fucking like awesome goals, but they're also realistic, which is really cool. Yeah, and yeah. so the my best gym bench was 730. I uh, I loaded on 715, then we calibrated the plates and it weighed out to 730. So I was happy with that. Cool. All um, right the my ultimate long-term goal i want to bench i would like to bench 800 in a meet but then the apf record is 832 and that was sean frankel right so if i'm setting a goal that would be that close to the record i might as well just set it to 836 and get the record yeah absolutely <laughs> no shit we're talking oh geez 220 records and sean frankel and it reminds me of big iron and this is all like mid 2000s early teens this is taking me aback man this is fucking awesome on oh, the funny part is i uh i'm associated with the overkill crew right now so i i, okay. I drive down to illinois and live with rudy and tom project oh. and a lot of those guys yeah so okay cool is that what you B i'll go down there about once a month is that what your current is that your current uh equipment of choice then i would assume Yes. Um. So I'm currently squatting in the ultra leviathan. I have an overkill canvas suit, but I was about 10 pounds heavier when we made it. So I need to get back to that point before I, you know, before it's more viable. Right. Um. But yes, I swear by the shirt and I swear by the breeze. Now, are, are you a, are you a overkill sponsored athlete or not yet? I'm not. Uh, no, I'm not. Um, That's a- those numbers man that's that's surprising maybe something will happen when i go when i hit the wpo but because he's really big with the wpo but i haven't competed there yet i was invited last year the army said no and so now this year now this year um i actually am gonna be going i'm gonna like set time aside in my schedule and that's gonna be my priority gotta save up those uh do you guys have uh and the reserve, I guess, side of it. Do you have um have been out for over a year? Um, the two or two and a half days accumulative days off per month? No. How- um, so no, <laughs> we don't. Um, but with, with our with our drill weekends, we can sign what's called an RST. And so and I forget what the acronym stands for, but an RST is basically you sign you sign the paperwork. You say I'm going to make up my drill date by doing these activities. Your first sergeant signs it. Battalion commander signs it, and then you don't have to show up to drill for that month. But you do have to make up the activities. Uh, gotcha. And and you you do that so you drill. Just once. One weekend. Yep. Right. Okay. One weekend. Then we have two weeks in the summer. Our annual training. Oh, yes. I'm currently in a spot where I have a little bit of control over my career. So that's nice. Uh, we don't, we typically don't mobilize as a unit. We mobilize individually, whereas other units, you know, they mobilize as a unit. So I have a little more freedom, but you know, sometimes command will come down and say, Nope, we're all going to do the same activities. So screw off. (laughs) Yeah. mandatory fun day was a thing when I was, uh, like Quantico, I about yeah. wanted to, I, I had, blew a gasket. I'm like mandatory fun day, and it's also on a weekend. <clears throat> Go fuck yourself. That was the word. That was the most dog shit. Fortunately, when I was working in the armory, my scheduling or lacko thereof, because I was at the mercy of everybody else. Yep. you know, if these guys took out weapons Monday, they're coming back Friday, but they're not coming back till eleven o'clock at night. I'm working until 11 o'clock at night minimum, you know, then taking the stuff in. So I got out of a lot of stuff because of that, or I could just make something up like, Oh no. Hey, first Sergeant, We got uh, guys cleaning weapons right now. They're not coming back for two hours. Ah, sorry. I got to be here. I got, can't leave the vault, you know? So I, <laughs> I use that from time to time, but uh, I love it. See, so yeah, yeah, I had, do what you gotta do. I did. I had to, it was, Oh horrible any any freaking uh, this let's get back to let's get back on track here so what (laughs) so you've competed obviously quite a bit you're you're already totaling pro and and raw and equipped um what what would be like your favorite memory on the competitive side of the sport uh, thus far that's a really hard one um Uh so i've been thinking about that and i'm not really sure the if I'm being honest, this last meat was kind of a pretty high, high for me because uh, it was the first time that I've really put together a good meat multiply. Mm-hmm. So that's certainly up there. And I know it was fairly recent, but that's certainly up there. Because um, like before this, I had a 2289 total, which is still good. I'm not complaining about it, but I went four for nine. And so I left the meat unsatisfied. Right. And so I had, so this meat, it was a little bit better total, but I went eight for nine. And so I was more satisfied by making the attempts. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we, we can go into the mentality behind that, but I totally up, changed up my entire philosophy going into the, um, I was treating myself as if I was coaching another athlete and took a, an objective perspective to my training. As opposed to training for me, I was training for somebody else or as if I was training for somebody else. if that makes sense? It does, it does. Because um, as a coach, we take more pride in other people's work typically. And so I just did that to my own and it paid off. Well, jumping up damn near 200 pounds on a total plus making twice the amount of <laughs> successful attempts, that's not only are you going up in weight considerably, but also being more consistent throughout the meet too. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's really something, the conditioning for a full meet I I kind of remember it. It was fucking awful. I don't have that conditioning now. I'm trying to, although I'm 310 pounds, not 220 like I was, you know, 10 years ago. So, right, um, I, I do. I am working on that. So good. Okay. And that 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 recent meet you're speaking of is the the thousand eight six eighty eight and seven thirty eight for the total. Yes. Um, a real, real close second. It might even surpass it. I'm not sure, but it was my my first XPC Arnold. And I I have a ton of memories about that meet. So that would have been 2017. I weighed in at 190, or I I was 198, weighed in at 194. Um, Didn't make too many attempts. It was five or six for nine, something like that. Um, But I totaled 2,070. And again, this is training in my basement at my college apartment. Not really knowing what I'm doing. Um, I had chains and that was, I knew that multiply lifters do a lot of overload so I just threw chains on everything I did and hope it did something mm-hmm. but the cool part was the person that I beat was Dave Kershaw, and so I got to I got to meet Dave and become real good friends with him he's the one that wrote the gearbook. oh yeah um, okay okay I, don't, I wonder why that sounded familiar yeah and so he had a couple injuries and he was just coming back so I kind of beat him on an off day but I still get to brag that I beat him yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, literally so did. I, I still harass him about it every once in a while. Um, but I, I'm good friends with him now. I get along with him. Um, but that was my first time actually being alongside a bunch of really big names. So I was sitting in the warm-up room. My, my handler was a friend who ran track and field. And he had no idea what powerlifting was. This was his first meet. And he, and he, was, he was my handler. He was the guy that I got. Nobody wanted to come with him. Um, but so I'm, I'm sitting in the, sitting, uh, whatever the, wherever the chairs were, I was on a stage and we're just, we're just chilling there. And I look off to my side and Danny Tina Harrow sits right next to me. I had uh, Dave Wilcox, Dave Wilcox, Derek Wilcox right across from me. Um, Joe Jordan was on the stage somewhere. Yep. Um, Hoff was walking around. Dave Tate was walking around. <laughs> And it's like all these big names that you see all over the internet, like they're all right there. Yep. Um, we sat our stuff right next to Rita West and her crew. Um, Marcus Morris was walking around somewhere. It was it was a great time. And then during the deadlifts, I think it was the opener, it was either openers or seconds, I don't remember. But during deadlifts, uh Arnold comes walking up to the stage. And so he has all of his, he has all of his bodyguards, but he's putting his hands on the stage, so he's right there. And the bodyguards kind of slide into each other. And they're, they're forming a horseshoe around him so nobody can get up to him. Um, I forget his name. It was Mark something. It starts with a T. Mark Tejero, maybe? I think it was Mark uh, yeah. he, he was a 148 lifter. He was the, oh, first, okay. he was the first guy that, uh, that walked up. Or he was the first guy that walked up, pulled his deadlift. And after he got done, he ran up to Arnold and shook his hand. And all the bodyguards are looking at each other like, what do we do? Nobody's supposed to reach Arnold. That's their one job. Yeah. And he walked right across the stage and shook his hand. Then the next guy came up and did it. And when that second guy shook Arnold's hand, that kind of solidified. He had to stay there for the whole flight because it would, it would look really bad if he just suddenly walked away. So all of us got to shake Arnold's hand, and I have a picture of that. Oh, that's, that you know, that's a, that's a life goal that I've had my entire I I knew Arnold who Arnold was before I was even interested in any kind of strength sport obviously I grew up in the the 90s and stuff when he was stolen heavily in acting and oh boy and uh man that's so awesome that's that's great (laughs) and my favorite movie growing up was Jingle All the Way so yeah I I totally forgot about that movie until a couple years ago I was at my parents house going through old videos and I pulled that movie out and totally forgot that Arnold was in there yeah I, was, I watched that movie almost weekly. I felt bad for my parents. I watched that movie so often growing up i th- I think my first Arnold movie was actually it was v h s we're talking ninety it was no shit. I think it was a uh, predator yeah well, I should have been one. watching it yeah i sh- I should' have been watching it that <laughs> young, but my parents didn't didn't care and and then after that, it was like total re. I watched all of his like really nasty ones before I got into like Jingle All the Way, which is more family oriented. But yep. that is so fucking awesome. That's great. That's a good story, man. Yeah, that 2017 Arnold might be my, my favorite memory altogether. I had a lot of good memories when I went to the IPF Worlds, but not a lot of them stuck. I mean, I know it was a good time, but I don't remember as many pieces as that Arnold. Gotcha. Yeah. Ironically, one of my favorite competitions was the 2014 arnold when they had the bench competition up on the main stage still okay we're talking xpc uh collaborated with rps when gene richlack was still alive and i same exact scenario just a bench competition i was sitting there and i was watching good guy mike womack tiny meeker gene richlack's over here Uh, I can't remember everybody's names, but like all these pros that I had never met, but only seen on the internet. I I met Tiny a couple times before, but all these guys that I had never met only envied and followed online. And then all of a sudden I'm sitting there in the same warm-up area at the fucking Arnold classic. And they're all here. I was like, this is, this is the coolest thing I've ever fucking done.
0: Yeah. um,
1: I got to meet Tiny a handful of different times at the Arnold and I had con- so I had contacted him on social media a few different times and then ran into him at the Arnold. And I have now I've ran into him three or four different years. And it was to the point where this 2020, I believe with the last time I went, yeah. The Corona classic. Yeah. I walked, I walked past him and he called me out by first name. So it was kind oh, of shit. fun. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. He's, he's always a bundle of joy every time we run into him. He's always got a, Happy look on his face, and he's always positive, which I he's really a super nice guy. Yeah, I appreciate his his enthusiasm and his and his uh, positive vibe. He's always he's never uh, Debbie Downer. I've never had that experience with him. So you want to talk How's about that? meaty hands? That guy has just the thickest hands I've ever seen. They're yeah, enormous. He's, he's built his joints, his wrists, and his elbows are just like strong man sized gigantic like he could have easily i mean he's a little short for a strong man but he could have easily have done that and probably been pretty successful oh yeah he's got some thick fucking joints but um i've mentioned quite a few names already but uh i guess we'll kind of narrow it down to maybe your top three but uh who who do you look up to uh in the sport of powerlifting that's a hard one. That's a really hard one. Um, yeah. it, it changes periodically. I'll say that two the two people that were very influential, that were very influential to me um, when I was trying to learn form, equipped form, um, Andrei Believ was a big one. So he, he's a Russian 198 deadlifter, but he has some of the best form I have ever seen. And so when I was I probably 20 or 21, and I realized that my form sucked and I need to really work on something, I would break out my phone by the time I got my first smartphone actually. I would break out YouTube, search Andre's videos, and I would just watch it about 30 different times every time it was a deadlift day. And I would try to do the best I could to emulate. And if there was some issue that I had, whether it was flexibility or something, I would go work on that and then try to come back and watch his videos. He was a big one. And then Derek Wilcox, he was the other big one because um, okay. he has probably the best squat form in the industry. And if you go back and watch his videos, everything is spot on perfect. There's no flaws. And he was a guy at, at one point, he still might have it. But he was a top five squatter at one eighty one, one ninety eight, and two twenty at the same time.
0: <laughs> that's
1: that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> no, he was his his total was his total wasn't the greatest, but his squat was just superb. I think he had a thousand pound squat at one ninety eight. That and that's a few years ago too, right? That was a little bit ways back. Yeah, he uh, he retired in twenty seventeen. So that oh, Arnold that I met him at was his last meet. Oh, I see. So he he, he sounds like he was pretty much ahead of his time in, in terms of those numbers. Miles. Yes, yeah. um, his bench was his bench was his bad point. Like that that sucked. I think he had a five thirty bench multiply mm-hmm. five sixty maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and so those two were very influential with squat and deadlift. Um, Bench is hard because like squat and deadlift, you can find somebody, you can try to emulate the best you can in equipment. Like you're at the mercy of your gear, so you can do the best you can to find somebody and try to emulate. But at the end of the day, it's the gear is going to tell you what you can and can't do. Right. Um, so I didn't really have anybody for that. Um, Uh I would reach out to people and ask questions, but not, not so much the, the visualization. Um, when I first got started, there's a guy, Gary Reichert. He kind of took me under the wing and for about two years taught me what form was supposed to look like, told me a bunch of old training programs, how to train, what to look for, stuff like that. That was probably the best base that I could have gotten. Gotcha. Um, he was an old WPC lifter. He's still, he's still competing, um, but he's 60, he was born in 60, 1960, I believe. So he might be 62 right now, I think. Yeah. Wow. We're about to be 62. Mm -hmm. Um, This last year, he tried tried cutting to 148 again. He missed weight. He was like 150 or 152. Um, Deadlifted. He was deadlift only, Mm -hmm. beltless at WPC Worlds. And I think he still pulled like 530 or 550. Um, He's in the ballpark of four times body weight, still in the 60s at 60s beltless that's unheard of yeah um he's i always forget i always forget how good his numbers are for his age and body weight it's like okay a 500 pound deadlift great but he's a 148 at 60 years old yes um (laughs) raw and beltless yeah that's pretty incredible <laughs> I, uh, I as soon as I feel like I've met so many people in the sport I hear stories like this and I'm like like where, where the fuck have I been but then yeah. but then I've always been more on the the bench only equipped only you know that yeah. that very niche uh, side of the sport as opposed to the full power guys I can name quite a few but I've met a lot more of just the bench guys. Because that's what I—that's what I've always wanted to be, so that's what I got most interested in. Well, especially on the heavyweight side, there's only a handful of people. You got ten guys that are real prominent. Yep. Between, yep. Uh, I mean, Ryan Canelli, Tiny Meeker, and Rob Luando kind of dominated back when you were growing up. And that's yeah. I was fortunate enough when I when I joined Team MHP. I was with MHP for three years between. 12 to 15, uh 2012 to 2015. I was with MHP. So I got exposed to like Joe Mazza quite a bit, Rob Leando. Canelli was not on the team when I joined. He had he had parted ways. But Joe that, uh, the guy that people forget about. He and is... that's that's so surprising because he is such still such a well, maybe not currently but his marks are still so prominent in the sport i don't know any other person i i I don't know if anybody else has done this but joe mazza simultaneously held the raw single ply and multiply records same time i I think he's the only one i know people have done raw and multiply like rita west had the squat had the squat record for a while raw and multiply um, I don't know if anybody has done all three. I, I can't I, name any either. to my knowledge. He's the only one. I mean, maybe somebody had done each one individually at some point in their career, but to hold all three at the same time, this is what Travis is talking about. Joe Mazza has was benching at one sixty five, almost five hundred raw. Four eighty five, if I remember right. Four eighty, okay, so very close to five over like 630 or 640 single ply at 165 and then over 700 multiply at 165 all at the same time if i remember right it was it was either 480 or 485 raw he had a 635 single ply bench and 705 multiply there you go yeah and i I think and i know the bench has been surpassed a couple times by a i think what a russian did it one i don't know but the single ply i'm pretty damn sure is still there the multiply i'm not as sure about that may or may not have been surpassed i think it's been broken okay so uh, the only other guy who i could say was as close to that as possible would be like scott mendelson when he held yeah. the all-time raw and the all-time equipped which again i, I don't think that's ever been done since scott mendelson even so yeah very 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 fortunate to have met um, but but then again, those are bench guys and I've met them. So that's right. you know, that's my the my side of the sport. I've been very, very fortunate to have uh, extended interactions with those two. Well and nowadays with raw blowing up so much, it's probably not gonna happen again. Probably it's not. Very few and far between. Yeah, I think the likelihood of that happening is is I mean now again, I, I say I'm the, the bench guy, I know bench, but then I don't I don't know every single weight class, you know, where the right. raw and equip numbers are for all the lower weight classes, but I think you're, I think you're right. I don't know if that'll happen. Um, unless one of the, say the, the, the top 181 raw venture decides to do single ply meat and then the single ply. I, I, I mean, anything could happen, but right. we shall see what time beholds, <clears throat> uh, how, what's, how long, I guess I, this is a question for earlier. How long have you been lifting weights period like you're 26 when did you pick up your first weight um kind of a trick question so i started i officially started lifting on a regular basis in 2007 um yeah i think it was 2007 it was either six or seven but i think oh seven because okay. it was we had a, a weightlifting unit in gym class in sixth grade um and it was the the end of sixth grade and after that, after we had that unit, that was kind of the graduation point. Now you're old enough. You can use the school weight room on your own time. Gotcha. So that was kind of when it started. Um, the competitive aspect to it, I had my first official meet in 2010, but we had a, a middle school record board. And so I had a family member who was just a little bit older than I was. He had the squat record. And then a kid that we were not a very big fan of did some half football squat, broke his record. Uh, and i made i made it my goal to get that record back and mm-hmm. so here i am 12 13 years old going in there squatting four days a week to try to get this record <laughs> i eventually got it eventually got it it was like 250 If i remember it was 250 at 142 because they had weird weight classes right yeah it was either one yeah i'm almost positive it was 142 was the class that they had gotcha. at, our, at our high school um and so I got that. And then I realized I was the only seventh grader to get a middle school record. So it was seventh graders competing in seventh and eighth grade. And then when I got to eighth grade, they made a special seventh grade record board. And so I was ticked about that. Son of a bitch. Bad right. time. Bad timing on their part. Right? part. That's how I that's really how I got started into lifting was because I had an enjoyment for it. And then I had the motivation to get that record. Okay, so you you started relatively about the same. I got started at 14. Okay. In the weights period. Like my first time I picked up a single weight was at the age of 14. So that's about middle school. I, uh, seventh, uh, the end of seventh grade, the beginning of eighth is my general time period. Um, so you've been doing it for, so total, you're talking about, about 10, 12 years altogether? Since 2007? Okay. So, uh, oh that might be 14 14 years yeah because that yeah. would have been it, it would have been march march or april 2007 uh, okay all right yeah okay cool cool so that's damn near a decade and a half what what has been your biggest obstacle in this in, entire time the military <laughs> <laughs> good i being honest no that's a good yeah for real um yeah. So in in 2018, yeah, it was 2018. I I went to a prep school to prepare myself for the current job that I'm doing in the army. Um, and the prep school was all PT based. If you had if you had any downtime, you had to be doing push ups or V ups or eight count push ups or whatever. Like you had to be practicing your your PRT. Well during that time, it was a two week course, probably there for 12 days. Um, during that time, I estimate, I probably did three to 4,000 thousand push-ups. I mean, it was all day. It was literally all day, every day for two weeks. And we had two, two official PT tests during that time period. Um, it was way too much in a short period of time. And the last day, the last day that we were there, I had twinges in both my shoulders, but I didn't think too much of it because I'm you know, I, I've been lifting forever. I'm healthy and I, I'm used to it. A little bit of twinging. That's normal. I'm fine with it. I get home and on the way back from the airport, I decided to stop by a local gym and just get a workout in fun fact that gym is actually where I'm working out now regularly. Um, gotcha. But I, I was living in a, an hour away at the time. Gotcha. So got a workout in and a real easy day. I want to do a light bench day. 135 felt really heavy and really weird. So right off the bat, I knew it, well, it wasn't gonna be a good day, but I can salvage something. Normally jumped to 225, I decided to jump to 185. And when I lifted the, the weight off the rack, it felt weird. I unlocked my elbows and I felt both my shoulders just have a sharp stabbing pain. And it, the bar just dropped to my chest. I was the only one there and I had like hip thrusted up. Yep. Um, and that was when I tore both my rotator cuffs. Good grief! Yeah, um, and so that was that has been the start of me hating raw lifting because now I can't squat properly anymore. Yeah, that would oh, good god, damn. So yeah, so that was now four years ago. I went two years without having a bench PR. I could barely bench at all. Um, I can go in. I can go into the the whole journey behind it, but I now. I realized what I needed, what I needed to do, what the issues were after it healed. Um, cause I had a really long time of not properly identifying what my issues were. Once I finally identified them, then I could heal it up and it was super nice and easy. Um, mm. but I don't know if it healed weird or maybe I'm just lazy or something, but I super tight through the shoulders and the neck, which my rotation, my external rotation is almost none. If I uh-huh. if I get both hands up, like I'm trying to put a bar on my back. Right. I have to squat with my hands. You know, mind you, I'm a 220 lifter. I have to have my hands out by the collars all the way spread out. Oh man. I have no shoulder mobility anymore after tearing my rotator cuffs.
0: And it sounds know, like, it
1: sounds like me, but for a completely different reason. And I, I know what the issues are. I know it's just tightness. I know how to fix it, but it's really hard to give your give yourself massage. And it's really expensive to get massage two to three days a week. And right. the, the proper the proper therapies that I need, it's really expensive to try to purchase. And I don't have anybody that can do it for my, that can do it for me. Well, so I mean that's I didn't expect good God. Both rotator cuffs torn and you're still doing what you're doing. That's, that's, that really is uh, pretty impressive. I went to a, I actually went and got a, a diagnosis. So I went to a sports orthopedic specialist. Um, they said that I tore my labrum, but labrum, to my understanding, labrum is cartilage and cartilage doesn't heal. You have to have surgery. Mm-hmm. I haven't had, after I, so after the initial healing and started building mobility back, I haven't had the same issues that i had before which meant whatever i had did heal so mm-hmm. if it was truly the labrum then i should still be having the same original issues because cartilage doesn't heal correct so i think it was a, a misdiagnosis but i mean it's still it's still close it's still something in that area there was still some major issue uh-huh. um and oh, which by the way, the 2020 Arnold, I competed at raw, got a cortisone shot in my shoulder that took away all the pain. I got flexibility and I could finally bench. Went that whole meat prep, not benching more than about 340 with extreme pain. And I, I benched, that was my first 400 raw bench after the cortisone shot. Um, I benched 410 at that meet and squatted like 670, I believe, or six, no, it was 660 raw Okay. And the year after that, I actually got some massage. I built the mobility back, at least for the time being. And I benched 420 raw and then squatted 730 raw the year following year. Wow. So that shit actually works, apparently. Uh, I've heard of cortisone yeah. shots. So, well, I did, so I did some- the cortisone shot once, but yes, it, it absolutely does work. The problem with it is cortisone does deteriorate the muscle. So you can't rely on it. If you rely on it, then it's going to, I mean, you'll just have degenerative stuff going on in your shoulders. That's why when you have grandma or grandpa who tries to get their cortisone shot, they limit it to like once every four or five months. Gotcha. That makes sense. I I didn't know that. That's awful. (laughs) I'll never, uh, never rely heavily on that, if, if any at all. That's no, it's it's an emergency situation only. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I've not had to come back from anything even remotely close to that. So to be to be able to do what you've done. Tear, I mean, I've heard of somebody tearing one shoulder, one labra, one, but you tore both at the same time. That's to my understanding. Yeah. That that's what it felt like. To my understanding, that's what happened. Oh, good grief. <laughs> God damn military push-ups son of a bitch yeah and uh believe it or not that was not the start of me hating the military go well (laughs) say no more uh i can only imagine because you've been in more than twice as long as i was so um i'm sure i'm sure it was yeah try care a motivator try um that's (laughs) yeah i guess that was the reason why some people were those who had families like kids families were were a lot of the ones who were staying in longer than they wanted to at least the people i spoke to so good god tricare reserve for a single without a family i'm paying like 48 bucks a month for health insurance see what there you go yeah (laughs) that's pretty yeah i mean that's you're not going to do that anywhere else so no that's awesome um if you, if you could ask any power lifter for advice, this could be someone who's dead or not competing anymore, somebody who is currently active in the sport, who, who, who would they be and what would you ask them? So I'm not sure what I would ask and and I, I don't really have anything off the top of my head that's just a glaring issue. So if I have a question, I just ask people straight out. Sure but I would like to have a conversation with Paul Anderson for sure. Like that's number one. Yeah. Um, another one that I've always thought about is, he's a little lesser known, not really a power lifter, but the mighty Adam. And I, for, yeah. I okay. forget what his, what his first name is or what his real name is, but oh. his, his stage name, is a cir- circus performer. Yeah. Um, yeah. He did a bunch of really odd, really odd strongman stuff like this is back in, I want to say the fifties or sixties. He took, he used his hair to stop a, it was a plane from taking off. Now, mind you, it's one of those rotary planes with the propeller on the front. It's not quite the same horsepower as what we have nowadays, but it was still a plane and he, he had himself in a harness. And so he was strapped up, couldn't move anywhere. And he somehow connected his hair to a chain and stopped that plane from taking off. There was another one where he lifted a motorcycle with his beard. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, Jeez, actually, okay. no, I take, that, I take that back. It wasn't a motorcycle. He lifted uh-huh. a person and the person was doing like pull-ups on his beard or something like that. Like, oh. there, there's old school pictures of it. The motorcycle yeah. was something different. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, the, early, the early 1900s, I guess, strongman is what they were considered yeah. back then. It was just a bunch of really odd stuff that he did. Um, there was an article where he, he uh, bit through a titanium mirror at the dental office. So, like, he was getting a routine inspection. And yeah. the rumor was that he had read an article that human teeth are weaker than titanium, titanium stronger. Uh-huh. And he's, And he had this weird thought in his head. So he went to the dental office, got an inspection and bit through the mirror or the handle of the mirror. Right. Um, So it's those old school people that I'm really interested in. And then obviously you got people like Chuck Vogelpohl Mm -hmm. um, and some of the original West Side crowd. Like those guys are just fascinating because they're on a different level altogether. Yes. 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 Yeah, so I don't know I if think it would be glaring questions, but I would certainly like to have conversations. Conversations, any any kind of conversation piece with somebody from the old days. Yes, I think one of my favorite strong man. I'm not. I don't know. I'm not in the strong man circuit at all, even knowledge wise. But one of my favorite strong man of all time, speaking besides obviously Paul Anderson, like you mentioned from the 50s and 60s, would be the late 1800s, like Louis Cyr from Canada. Yes. Yes, late 1800s doing shit that has only been matched or caught or duplicated by strongman in the recent years so over 100 years later some of his feats have been matched or maybe surpassed like the one-arm dumbbells and stuff like that yeah that that would be unbelievable that somebody from that long ago could do those kind of feats of strength and that paul anderson is the reason why i started lifting weights oh really yep i saw the old black and when i was 14 i was a a uh a, 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 a research type of lifter i still to this day in that way just with less reading material like writing stuff down but i used to you know rely heavily on youtube and google and his picture would always pop up those old pictures of him squatting with the railroad uh wheels yep. and stuff like who the fu- what is what is this shit? And i started looking into it and he's he's what really inspired me to begin lifting weights uh which turned from olympic style lifting eventually i started bodybuilding which led me into eventually powerlifting because he kind of he didn't really bodybuild but he did olympic he did powerlifting he did strongman and he was just kind of the overall picture and that was that's what got me going was the original inspiration was uh, Paul Anderson himself. I think the coolest part about Paul Anderson was, so he was a circus performer. So he had to do all this stuff five, six, seven times a day, three, four, five days a week. Yeah. Um, one of his stunts that he did, he would have two 55-gallon concrete drums attached to a rebar, and he would squat it up. Now, 55 gallons of concrete on each side of the bar, the bar came out to... 1200 or 1250 it was it was over 1200 pounds and he would start in the bottom position and pick it up yeah the uh the anderson squat basically that's where it came from Mm -hmm. and that was one of his circus stunts so you think about it he's doing a 1200 plus pound squat three or four times a day five days a week just for show yeah not even that's his job yeah not even trying to compete or anything no equipment just squatting yeah for for show for fun yeah <laughs> and that's, that's one of those things that's it seems so far-fetched it seems like such a tall tale i'd like to confirm it like see if it was actually true like see what the what that concrete drum actually was what it actually weighed out to but well, they still have his old equipment like it's, they, he, it's recent enough you can still go to his house yes i mean a 55 gallon drum empty has some heft to it now imagine that filled with water probably couldn't even fucking move it now filled with concrete i think that's i think it's pretty reasonable to say that that thing weighed between 11 and 1200 pounds for sure yeah no doubt no doubt and it's not like it was an olympic bar i'm pretty sure he had some modified rebar just some just just a stiff ass one solid piece not yeah yeah that's that makes it even more incredible just the, the 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 casual nature Of something so incredible that's yeah that i don't think that's been do. i don't think it'll ever be duplicated to be honest with you now have you ever seen the legends of strength series on youtube Uh, rogue put it out a couple years ago no it doesn't sound familiar so i'm going to say no okay you would be really interested in it i watched they're about half hour a piece i watched all of them some might be a little longer but they take seven or eight really famous Innovators of the strength sports, and they just look at the history of them. So, like you have George Hacken Hackenschmidt, I think his name is Hacken something. Um, they had an episode on him. They have an episode on Louis Cyr. um Richard Sandow had one. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of females in there. I forget what their names are. Uh-huh. Um, if I heard them, I would know them. But there, there's seven or eight different people that were innovative. In the strength community. I mean, so when you start getting on the level of Richard Sando, like they're legendary people. Yes. Well, that's the the, the statue that the bodybuilders always win as a sando. And yep. <laughs> yep. Over at the Olympia. Yep, that's the Olympia. That's right. And that's called Legends of Strength, you said? I think so. It's I think it's Legends of Strength. It's a YouTube series. Mm-hmm. It was made by Rogue Fitness writing that down right now because i want to actually look at that today sometime cool yeah i'm gonna look that shit up because that's that's extremely that's just I, I think that's something that a lot of new age i'm not talking yourself for me but like the really young kids like the teens that are in the sport right now that i that i see especially ones like in person our gym and stuff and i'm just like none of these kids know anything about the history of their own sport let alone strength history in general they're just lifting weights currently with no knowledge of the past they just want they just and that's the attitude of this this take 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 mentality and not giving anything back or not knowing anything about your sport it's just the current like look at me generation of me 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 not give 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 it's just i don't know but I, I i completely agree yeah yeah it's it's Um, insane that so that exact reason the whole history part one of my favorite podcasts to listen to is uh the strength and anger with eric stone and robert bain yeah yeah i love that podcast i'll listen to it whenever it comes out but they take a part of every episode is they'll open up they'll crack open an old powerlifting usa they'll take a random issue and they'll go over what's on the inside Mm -hmm. um so they'll go over the top rankings sometimes they'll even go over the advertisements and some of those are funny mm-hmm. um but yeah what yeah. just one portion of that is breaking open powerlifting usa and then they'll a lot of them they'll cover some historical subject not all of them like they, they have some subjects that they go over every day gotcha. but usually it's something in history so they have one episode of their their alphabet Super powerlifting where they go over different federations and the differences between them. Mm-hmm. Um got another one that's the history of the USAPL and the ADFPA.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so you want to look at some drama? Look at the history of the USAPL. Like that's oh, that's the yeah. next level stuff. Oh yeah. It's well the drama continues. It's it's current. It's still going yeah. on. It's stopped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ugh, yuck. That's a horrific i but not just by hearsay or things I've seen things I've experienced um, many a reason why I don't do USAPL competitions. So yeah, the drama fucking continues, but uh, (laughs) Jesus God, Um, this is, I have one more for you for my paper. Um, Is there anything about the sport, whether it be a rule, anything like that? Is there anything about the sport you you would want to see change like a, a, a rule changed or deleted or added or anything to do with the sport what would you like to see different so yes i have so i have two one's gonna one's a little more hypothetical one i actually think would be a cool initiative the hypothetical one um because i feel like an old man i would like to switch out the straight bar with a safety bar um so we could have safety bar squats instead of straight bar squats and my shoulders would love it so much more yeah um, and I feel like we could actually get some bench-only guys to start squatting then, if we use I, a safety bar and comp. Even even a goddamn to to to, to at least emulate kind of keep the same straight bar look ish. Mm-hmm. Even a buffalo bar, like a, a curved. Uh, the human body is not really designed to be underneath a straight line. You know, we have curves and we have. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. A different bar for squats. So I, would, I don't think that's going to happen in my lifetime. I would love to see it happen and let the sport progress to something besides a fucking straight bar. But I, yeah, agree. God, I like that. Cool. Um, and then the one that's a little more serious, bringing back actual team awards. So I currently coach high school lifting and I don't like the way how they do the team awards. Um, The way how they do it is regardless of however many people you have in your team, you get scored based on the placing that your athletes get. So you have an advantage to having more people. If you have 20 people on your team and all 20 of them, you know, say you have one for every weight class and all of them score third place, you will cumulatively do better than a team that has maybe four first place or five first place or whatever sound right at all it's it's a strength in numbers thing what i would uh, like to see them do is have what no matter what your team is you take your top five best lifters by coefficient and add up their add up the total coefficient the five uh, the five number total mm-hmm. so whether it's wilks or dots or Glossbrenner or schwartz or whatever formula you want to use your top five best lifters by formula Add up that five that five number total, and that would determine the winner of the team. The team winners. That's how, and I think that's how they used to be done. That's how I remember it being done. And then lately, I'm told, "Oh no, it's always been the numbers game." I don't remember that. No, that doesn't make. That's it. That that, that doesn't make. It doesn't seem. The kind of, I would be discouraged from doing a team effort if purely if well that that team over there's got uh hell i don't know 50 people we've got half that or we got 20 we don't stand a chance in hell why even bother if it's a numbers game doesn't make any fucking sense well and so the team that i coach we typically get five or six lifters i think the most we've had is eight lifters at a meet whereas we have neighboring schools where powerlifting is their school program like above football, they're, they're powerlifting schools. So they'll send 40 or 50 kids to a meet and oh. they get credits for all those lifters. And as long as you make a total and you get at least one point. So yeah, so that's not, that's not, let I mean, I'll, I can understand if their angle is just getting people interested, like, Hey, team we can, it's different though. Yeah. Like, yeah. To me, that's, a team award is that's, that's different than just getting your total or getting mm-hmm. people to show up to the meet. If you're, so, if you're going for a team, totally. I, I like your coefficient idea. Yeah. And that way you can find who's cumulatively, you know, cumulatively the best team based on best lifter. Correct. That's it. Yeah. That's that. That shocks me that it's that, it's that way right now. Anyway, they're just, they're just the numbers game that doesn't make any fucking sense. And I think that's how the IPF does it. Oh, really? I'm almost positive that's how the IPF does it. I would not be shocked coming from the IPF, <laughs> motherfucking. I could go down. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole of. I rant enough about the IPF USAPL. Everybody kind of <laughs> knows my stance on that. Cool, cool. That's awesome. That's I've never heard that answer. That's that's actually pretty interesting. I'm, I, that's I've never had that answer on any podcast I've ever had. Oh, really? That, that, I, 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 I didn't even really know that before either. That's a new piece of information. I didn't. I wasn't even aware of. Okay. God damn, that's cool. But yeah, I think team awards have been largely forgotten about just uh-huh. in general in powerlifting, and it's a. I think it's a really cool idea that should be brought back. Yeah. Well, I went to the '09 and '09 is the year I graduated high school. About the. I don't know between j- the la- the last half of my senior year so it was between february and may somewhere in there i forget where but i went to oklahoma city for the 2009 nasa who was yeah the nasa federation yeah nasa high school nationals and i went there by myself you know just because that's i didn't you know oh, i'm a high schooler i can go to this meet and compete on the national level and i was the only to my knowledge and from all the matching singlets i saw throughout i was like one of the only singular competitors yeah it it seemed like the 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 point of everybody else being there was to get these team awards and there were but they had three platforms going and it was like a two or three day competition and it was massive amount of people I'm, i'm just walking around in a uh, blue and white single that i stole from my middle school wrestling team and i never gave back and i like wow i i'm kind of like a fucking sore thumb i mean everybody else matching there's like 50 kids over here and 20 over here that all match i'm like okay cool you know but i, I i've never been a a team guy you know obviously i i can i compete and i have to have a crew and uh it's not a it's not a singular sport in that sense. Now, when I'm on the platform, it's me and a barbell, but yep. um, I've never been one for – I never played football. Um, I did track and field because I liked to throw. Even though it was technically on a team, I mean, I got points for doing good for the team, but I was, it, was, it was still individual. You know, my performance wasn't dampened by – Say like football, you could be the best football player in the state, and then your team sucks, and you, you don't, you never win a single game. You know, like that's why the team thing never uh, appealed to me much. But I have experienced the the, the giant teams uh, firsthand at that yeah. national level meet. That was that was something I didn't expect. But where I where that come from? Where I'm thinking about it is when you look at the old school days, and you had the gym rivalries. You had West Side versus Big Iron versus Bronze Gym. Versus, you know, there were a couple down south that I'm not remembering. Uh-huh. But you had these big gyms that would go head to head and they would just talk as much trash as they could. And then you would show up and then you would see which which gym won the team awards. They were fighting right. for the team award. Mm-hmm. That was like an 80s or 90s thing. But we don't have that anymore. You don't have those gym rivalries. And I think that would be a lot of fun to kind of bring some hype back to the sport. That would be cool. No, that would be awesome. We've got a, or not a, I wouldn't call it a, rival gym or anything virginia is basically ruled by usapl uspa yep that's how wisconsin is so okay so i obviously don't do anything in the state of virginia competitive wise except i train at a gym in virginia and uh there's a gym about same town about 15 minutes down the road um, that has a lot of competitors in those mostly usapl so it's a usapl affiliated gym um And we have, our crew is smaller. We all compete too, but obviously in different feds, IPA, RPS, APF. But it would be cool if we could somehow, that'd be awesome. I I would love to be able to train with my crew knowing that, hey, we're going to this meet as a group to compete against that group to see which gym is, I guess, better in a a way. I mean, it could even be advertised that way. Just say there's no individual awards. You're, You're shooting for a large trophy for the gym right. Just yeah. For a team award. We have it. We have a shelf at our gym. It's very small. because We just started it, but it's, there's no team awards obviously up there, but every time I win something, I'm not a trophy guy. I'm not a metal guy. I'm just a numbers guy. I, uh, record certificate guy, yep. but anytime I bring a trophy home, I always give it to the gym. So now we have, and some others followed suit. So I got this small, uh, shelf of trophies at the, at the front door. Um, said it'd be cool to have like a giant one or something for the gym too from like a team effort yep that's that's interesting that's thank you for that that's awesome yeah not a problem Uh, so before we i got questions from online uh for you also before we get to those i wanted you to ask uh me anything you would like to ask me specifically before we move on so this is one that I've actually kind of wondered for a while. Um, what do you do differently with your bench shirt? How do you set your shirt? So, like, do you twist the sleeves inward? Do you roll the cuffs into themselves? Or, uh, do, you, or do you just pull the collar down, laugh the belt, call it good? So You're, you're talking, we'll, we're talking poly, single ply type, I guess. Yes. Okay, so I, years ago when i was in ohio training at iron chamber gym blackstone's gym the whole this is early late 2000 early teens the shirt adjustment process was just pull the neck down yep that was it and i was mostly multiply back then between 2008 9 10 11 i was mostly multiply so it was just yank that collar down um now, as of late, when I got into the single-ply realm here these last year and a half or so and going just up and up and up in the single-ply numbers, I actually never pull my neck down. Uh, it's just not something I like to do. you let it right up? Yeah, I just, I, I, I put the shirt on and I don't purposely like pull the collar up on my neck. Okay. But when I put the shirt on, wherever the collar is, i just leave it um, okay so now that the only exception to that rule is that my last meet in november where i bombed out i was i was still benching a single ply i tried 1070 1140 1150 and those weights were i mean less than this pen thickness from touching probably half that yep the the judge was like it was that close <laughs> but uh in that case, where I was too bloated, I purposely tried to pull the neck higher on my neck to get less collar involved. That's the only time I actually move the collar. Um, so I leave the collar alone. In general, because the katanas are designed for this, I just I adjust the sleeves. That's the only way I adjust shirts these days. And it's, in, my ter- in my opinion, it's way more effective um, in my experience. Now, this is single ply. I don't know about multiply the open back stuff with the Velcro might be different. So I'll get my opener with collar high sleeve straight. Okay. I get my opener. Boom. I'm going to jump up 50 pounds. The only, the, the only pain in the ass part about relying on sleeves, not collar is you got to take the shirt completely off. That's <laughs> and and when you're in single ply and you're, you're bleeding down your arms and you lost, lost a bunch of skin. It's really annoying and it really hurts. So I take the shirt completely off, jump 50 pounds. So put the shirt back on. I have my guys hold the collar, you know, straight this way. And then instead of putting my hand in here to have a straight sleeve, I'll put my hand in half turned. Okay. Get the shirt on this way. So when I go to turn in, I have like a half torque. Okay. And do you prefer that better than going underhand, going like a full torque? So I'll do a full torque if I'm going ham on like my second or if I'm going for like when I went to, oh, an RPS meet a few months prior to my last bomb out in November, I jumped up to I went from 1060 was my opener, I got my opener, I jumped to like 1130 or something. That time I went full torque, I went hand completely up in. Okay. But even just even just doing half a torque will will completely change the dynamic of the shirt. Um now overboard, I went to the bass bencher in March. Again, got my opener, a thousand eighty, I think it was, you know, collar up high, sleeve straight, jumped to eleven twenty-five or eleven thirty, took the shirt off. What I had Katie do instead of holding the sleeve straight she turned it and then i went palms up and turned it even further so that's like a torque and a half torque it was it was probably a full it was stupid it was okay. way it was way overdone so i took 1125 out this is again this is a single ply polyester and it came down about two inches and stopped i was like i think i actually verbally said shit or something like under my breath under that under that load no chance in hell it was ever gonna so I just threw it back up shit so I had to take the shirt off and untorque it so um yeah as far as like rolling the sleeves um I've only ever rolled a sleeve up in an effort to keep the sleeve off my elbow okay uh multiply that's totally not an issue at all I've done that almost all the time single ply I had one issue I was at a wabble meet I was that 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 meet where I was going to beat Jason Action Jackson I benched 810 or 815 or something to surpass him but I had rolled my sleeve up just a one turn okay keep it off my elbow they didn't the judges didn't like that they they gave me a two to one fail but then Gus switch who was there, came up and was like, he put his fingers in there and he was like, well, clearly it's not that tight. This isn't helping him at all. Uh, We made, we came to the decision that like, we'll let you have that lift next lift. Don't roll them. So I had to unroll them and just like scrunch them to get, and then I benched 11 pounds more and did 821 that day. So clearly it wasn't an advantage, but Sometimes single ply, they might not like you rolling them, but multiply, I've never had an issue because it's multiply, who cares? Right. Have you ever tried rolling it inward? Like, like, uh, pinching it over and then having the shirt flipped inside out and Uh, then (coughs) you roll the shirt onto you instead of sliding it up? No, no, that I've not done that. Not once. It's, it it seems I know. It it sounds kind of similar. Like when you put knee sleeves on, some people flip them inside out or something and you, and you put it on and you kind of un, unroll it up your leg. I think that's kind of similar. similar. What so similar. similar concept. The difference is when you do it that way, when you fold the sleeve, it goes on the inside instead of the outside. And oh, so I that'll, that'll increase the amount of space that's there between you and your arm or your arm and the shirt. Oh, oh, So no. It's tighter I, across the cuffs. I oh, I got you. No, I've not done that. That's okay. Um, I, I, I don't know if you watch the guys that wear like SDPs and stuff, they wear those things in the most insane ways. They pull the shoulders down, make a fold, pull it back up halfway. They do all this crazy. I like having my shirts just straight, just smooth, smooth, no, no wrinkles, no, no weird Nothing. I, I like everything to be nice and just flat. So, so I have I have an SDP and it was the first thing, the first multiply shirt that I actually tried using. Um it's a size 54 and I'm not sure what the sizing chart says, but I had somebody else buy it for me and he said it would fit me at 198. It's uh, fit for a 242. Oh shit. So yeah, I, I couldn't make like I could put both my fingers vertically in the sleeves it was, it was a big deal. So I actually had to roll this. I had to flip the shirt inside out and roll them inside. I think like three different times so I could get a tight fit around my elbow. Um, And I still would miss it at the top. Um, Yeah. So like I was able to bench about 600, give or take, I did 650 in the gym for a grinder, but that was not consistent. Like I could consistently hit about 630. um, And then I think I bombed out with that shirt once at, with about six thirty or six twenty six or whatever it comes out to. Gotcha. Dang, yeah, that's, yeah, uh, that's nuts to me. I've, I mean, <clears throat> I use Overkill now, and I don't have any of those same issues. Yeah, I mean, I, I never, ever, ever do I steer anybody. I've said it multiple times, and I've said it for years i never would recommend and I'm not an injured guy. I'm sponsored by Anderson power. I think That's yep. Titan distributor, but yep so when he asks my opinion. I'm like, I, if you, if you value your money, I'm talking like Scotty Kilmer here. If you value your money, do not invest in that money pit of a shirt, SDPs and stuff. I mean, they, they're very popular. I get it. They, they're easy to learn. I think um, they're stretchy. So they got lots of rebound. But it's, it's such a fucking joke when ends are, if you look at that, I actually did a, a, ben- a bench critique where I actually pulled up the, the article for the SDP and it said, I, I underlined it and it said like, never stretches out, retains memory, I use for countless meets and countless workouts. And so I'm like, that is, that is literally like a bad fucking joke because it's almost like a meme and powerlifting how quickly those things wear out so i never i've never i've only experienced one sd or not even stp i bought a first generation phenom just the okay. Phenom with the little triangle right here nothing else on it not the crazy ones just the run-of-the-mill two-ply that's real old school really i mean i'm talking 2010 or 2011 like way i was in high school still i bought one with my subway money i think those shirts are from the early 2000s yeah i it it can't yeah so i bought a double ply one actually it was closed back i cut it up the back myself with a pair of scissors first workout it was amazing i popped up like a 680 or something my first workout like full range like holy shit i can't wait till next weekend next weekend it was fucking done i was like is there a switch? I thought someone flipped a switch on it or something. It wasn't working. It just, it just, I, I, I stretched it out the first workout. So yep. yeah, not, not much more experience than that. That's all I needed to not invest and just kind of go with something else. See, and that's <laughs> opposite. That's why I like the overkill is because I have used, so I've used my overkill stuff countless times over the last couple of years. And it does not stretch. There's a little bit where it, you have to break in the fibers. Yeah. And so there's that little break in period, but after that, like it's good to go. Um, And I've, I've taken my equipment to Rudy directly and I've, I've watched him as he stretches the stuff out. The amount of stretch that that equipment has doesn't look possible. I mean, we're talking like a three inch chest plate that can stretch out to 18 inches before it rips. God. um, Yeah. It's, It is absolutely ridiculous how that gear works. Yeah, yeah. I have only good things to say about it, about Overkill. Um, Inzer, I can go back and forth on. I get that they're tried and true. They're kind of what everybody uses. And so they have the reputation going for them. Sure. But I've heard that their reputation's kind of going down the last few years. Um, And as far as single ply goes, I think Titan might be king. I mean, I it's very hard to compete with Titan in the single ply market. Right. Um, multiply, I'm not sure if they performed the same way. Um, I, I have I've seen I've seen people perform better in Inzer Multiply than Titan Multiply. Um, yes. And actually the, the pair of briefs that I had stretched out on me were of an original boss from you know a a while back. Right. They were new, but it was 2015 or 2016-ish. Gotcha, um, but single ply, like nobody competes against Titan. Yeah. I, I like to tell people that until somebody can surpass my 1120 single ply bench, I can say, I can take it to the bank that the Titan Katana is still the greatest single ply shirt out there. Yeah. Uh, um, certainly it doesn't, there's no other single ply equipment that has the volume of lifters as a Katana does. Correct. Um, yeah. And I think what really impresses me about it, about the katana is how much stress you can put on that chest plate and it doesn't rip. Yes. Yep. I, I've not had one blowout on me. My entire, I, anything can happen. I've seen F sixes blow down the middle. Um, obviously SCPs. I've seen left and right blow out bolts from Enzer, but I've not personally had one and I've not personally seen a katana or even heard of a katana blowing out blowing down the middle they are very 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 tough shirts which also makes them very 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 tough to master there's 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 a millimeters of wiggle room when you're when you're coming down full range with a heavy lift and you cannot come out those millimeters or you're going to have a dump i've done that many times in my career so yeah say for, for for some perspective um, my single ply Katana and my multiply SDP. now granted the SDP was a little bit big. Um, I could bench within about 10 pounds of the same. Yeah. And the difference to so the, the advantage to the SDP in that, in that sense, when we're comparing single ply to multiply, the advantage to the SDP was that it had a larger sweet spot. So yes. you had about an inch and a half sweet spot, Whereas the katana, you have about a half inch sweet spot. Yep. Yeah. Correct. Yes. So you really have to be dialed in for that katana. Yeah. Um, And I I have not had a tight SDP. I don't know how it works, Um, but I have had some pretty tight katanas and I've gotten 200, at least 200 pounds of overload of carryover from my katanas. Yep. I mean, I remember being in high school, I had a, a 340 max raw bench. And I was benching 550 in the gym with my katana. And that yeah. was without training, without anybody showing me what to do. Right. That's just, if I've not shown, that's a prime example. And if if I've not been able to show how much potential, I know band shirts are super popular, multiply has always been super popular, but the the amount of potential that one single layer of polyester truly has, if I've not been able to Show that you know earlier last year that I never. That I don't think it's ever gonna come to surface. Um, to me, it's the inte- it's the structural integrity, like mm-hmm. it's it's how much pressure that material can withhold, yes. and the fact that katanas don't rip. I've seen them, so I've seen them burst up at the shoulders a couple times. I've yeah. never seen them burst into the, on the side. Oh, and when right. when it's at the shoulder, it's just a hole that appears. So you yes, have to be careful. You can still use the shirt. You just got to be a little extra careful and cognizant of. It. Yeah, no, I, I see the warning signs. I see like the tear of the runners, the little yep. fiber, little fuzzies here and there on the chest, on the shoulders up here. And I'm like, okay, it's getting to the end of its life. Because i I mean, if, now if you wore one that was big, that would never happen. But when you wear them so damn small, which is how single ply works the best, when you stretch that that far, it's eventually going to have those things happen. That's just nothing yeah. lasts forever so that that's that's very common but yeah i'm I've, I've been using katanas since i was 19 so i have like 12 years of experience just in katanas um <clears throat> up until these four months ago when i started getting into the the band shirts um yeah katanas are the only shirts i've ever competed with yeah uh, well my my first 600-pound bench was a single-ply Rage-X that I bought when I was 18. I wasn't sponsored okay. with anybody yet, so there you go. But besides that and the denim benches I did in my, in my teen years, every other competitive bench has always been some form of a Titan Katana my entire life. So good good, good for a change. Uh, my next now, meet's not going to be. Huh? Have you ever Have you ever reinforced the stitching on the collar? I know that there were some people with old material SDPs that or actually might've been the newer material that didn't last. I don't remember. Um, uh-huh. But with SDPs, there were people that would reinforce the collar. They would take the stitching and stitch the collar into the chest plate a second time and just go over back and forth. Right. Um, because so SDP released a newer collar, a and more enhanced collar that was so strong that it would actually pull apart from the chest plate. And so you could, I, I had one, I did 550 to a three board and first rep it pulled apart. Like there was a good one inch hole just to a three board to a three board shit. <laughs> and, it, and it was a big shirt on me too. It's not like it was tight. So yeah. I've heard a lot of the, a lot of the top level guys, um, like eight, 900,000 pound benchers. those guys would either reinforce it multiple times. Mm-hmm. Or they would just go with the lower the lower end SDP. They just wouldn't buy the the upgraded one. And I forget right. which one it was called, but there was it was around back in the six, 2016, 2017 ish. But okay, yeah, I'm not uh, sure if it's on the website or not. There's the internet has a lot of stuff that never hits the website,
0: or they're they're, from, they're
1: Yeah, no, they're very they're very shady, and this is information I got from an individual where in texas if you go to visit anderson powerlifting for instance very friendly open door i mean call ahead to make sure you know they're coming yes. you know they'll bring you in bring you into the warehouse you will know, show you everything i was actually there in dallas uh, earlier this year or last year and then if you go to titan they're a little more kind of pushy backy they'll still let you in they'll still whatever and work with you in If you find the goddamn place to begin with, you have to push a button at the door and someone's watching you on a camera and they'll speak to you through a speaker. This is, if I remember correctly, you have to tell them why you're there. They'll buzz you in to this tiny little rinky dink room and they'll bring equipment out to you in this room and fit you and stuff. They won't let you see the back. They won't let you see the warehouse. They're very, very like secretive and that's super sketchy. It is weird. It is weird. I'm just like, but I, that's just, I've not experienced that personally. That's just secondhand knowledge. Um, but it's just funny when, when the West side guys, when I was there with Ryan Kennelly and Tiny Beaker two years ago, when the West side guys themselves are telling us, we wish we were not the gym itself. We wish we were not sponsored with Inzer anymore. Like their own guys, because Louie will come in with like 10 SDPs brand new. Here you guys go. There's 10, you know, they'll come back a week later. How those shirts? And they're like, they're fucking shit. They're garbage, Louie. <laughs> when that so when West Side themselves, when that when their own guys are like, we don't want to be sponsored with them anymore. So that I think that really speaks on how in recent years, how far they've declined in quality. Yeah. As far as it, shirts i don't know about their suits but like especially their shirts that are poly material now sleeves and wraps belts from what i hear are good but as far as shirts are concerned fucking garbage that's coming from west side barbell so that's that really says something um so i want to ask you questions from online these are um people can we take a five-minute break real quick we can okay all right so, again, we have a, f- a few questions from uh, some fans off of uh, the Instagram there. So, this will be exciting. Uh, this is uh, this one's pretty uh, obvious who it is. I don't, I don't have the names, but this one says, Who is your favorite spotter and why is it Bane? <laughs> so, obviously, it has to be Robert Bane. Uh huh. It has to be. Um, another fun little. Fun little fact, whenever I compete, I put my team name down as Robert Baines fan club. There you go. Yep. Bain's just a cool guy. I enjoy him. He is the back spotter at the WPO for, for those of you that are unaware. Uh, he is at l- probably the first, if not the only person that has taken spotting down to a science. He'll break it down and tell you exactly what to do, how to place yourself, where your arms need to be placed. Uh, he, he will physically move you while you're on the platform and tell you where, where you need to be. Yep. He's next level spotting right there. I I think the WPO would be the only place in the competitive world where I'd be comfortable showing up with either none of my crew members or one of, because like obviously the WPO bench bashes in Florida end of March and like not my entire crew can't come down to Florida, but they're so damn good. I'd feel very safe just being there with, like, say, like one person if they can make it down for the middle handoff, even, even without that. If Bane was just there doing the middle handoff, I'd feel completely safe because of uh, the, the performances that they do. So, Bane is out of Lombard, Illinois. He is. Oh. So, if you ever want to compete at a place that he's at, um, Laura flies him out to go to Cincinnati. And he's, him and his crew spot over at the Pro lot. Um, right. Yeah. I went to the north of the border. Yes. Yep. I, there that, I trained bench with him uh, the yep. the night before the north of the border. Yep. And then uh, he's, if he's, if he's available, it's not every meet, but usually he's over at the 2XL meets too in Lombard, Illinois. Gotcha. meets. Yep. Okay. So He, he trains on uh, a 2XL on a regular okay. basis. I see. I wonder why I thought he was from Ohio when I saw him at Laura's. I'm like, oh, you must be from around here. I didn't know that she flies him in like that. Yeah, no, he's he's good enough. He's well-known enough that him and his crew go to big-level meets and will spot and load. And I can tell why, because their spotting is pretty legendary. And like yeah. I said, the only place I would go without my crew and still feel safe would be where him and his guys are. So that's awesome. He actually has an entry in the in the gear book by David Kirshen. He has an entry yeah. on the spot good that 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 is that should be a thing like you shouldn't yes i think that's that's he's pioneering the art of spotting which is awesome let's see what we got here another individual asked or yeah asked but uh describe your ultimate lifting day ultimate lifting day or perfect day yeah just like what would be your perfect day as far as training goes in your whole day that's a really hard one. Um, mm-hmm. I generally find more enjoyment out of the people. It's not necessarily the lifting itself. So it would come down to who I'm actually training with, um, mm-hmm. which is why I actually take time to go travel. I'll I'll drive a couple of hours to go for a training session. Um, I actually did that yesterday. Came back last night. Um, yeah, I don't know. It comes down to the people. Okay. It doesn't necessarily mean that I have to hit a PR. That would be icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. But... If there would be a cool, like a good, cool group of people, preferably some of the older crowd from the early 2000s or even 90s, you know, just get to meet them, have a conversation. We all go train at some nice gym. Yeah. I don't know. I think that would be kind of cool. That would, that would definitely be up there. That's, I had a friend named Chris Bukowski and he was very, very entwined with the uh, the animal company, the company Animal that does and uh he would travel to these different ABC Animal Barbell Club events um, all over Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia. And he took me with him. And we go to these badass fucking gyms, some of the most hardcore gyms in the state or the country, even one of them was one of the top 10 ranked, hardest, most hardcore gyms in the country. It was called the Bodybuilders Gym in Akron, Ohio. Um, and oftentimes one of the pros would show up like, uh, McGrath or the house, um, and they'd work out with us. So we'd have this big group of guys all in animal shirts, working out at a hardcore fucking gym. And then we would go out to eat afterwards. Um, so whether it was a PR workout or not, I would just be like you said, being around those, that, that crew and those guys was just fucking, those that was my, my entire teenage years, 14 to 18. We did that. So that was certainly some good ways. That's a good way to spend your teenage years. It was, it really, it got me out there. It got me introduced to new people and just, and just to see a lot of different places. I mean, it, it was, I was very fortunate to have that connection. That's awesome. That's a good answer. Um, this is a two-part question. Um, in your opinion or whether by just opinion or experience, I guess, but worst federation best federation that's almost baited (laughs) um what do you mean (laughs) so believe believe it or not i would it it depends it it really depends on how you want to grade best to worst Mm -hmm. because in in many aspects you could look at the usapl and say they're the best federation they have the most money coming in they're arguably doing the most for the sport. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's within their, their little click uh, click. Yeah. But the USAPL is putting money back into the sport. Um, now my favorite federation is the APF. They've been yeah. around for the longest. They have a, le- a legitimized international competition. They mm-hmm. have the rules that I would like to follow, which is the, the beauty of powerlifting. You can go to wherever, whatever rules you want to follow. You can go to that federation. And I like the APF because it, it is structured like that. Um, the UPA is very similar. I would put the UPA as a very close second for where I would want to compete at. Um, as far as worst federations, you can't really, I don't know. That's a, that's a really hard one to grade. I would probably uh-huh. put some of those federations that don't ever get used anymore. Like you could look at the USPF. USPF oh. has two meets a year. Yeah, I mean, they're not really a thing anymore. Um, I've heard really bad things about NASA, but I've never <laughs> competed there. Oh, I have. <laughs> <laughs> Rumors are true, I bet. Yeah, Good. so my favorite federation would be the uh-huh. Um, I choose not to compete with the USAPL, but I don't have anything against them. Okay. I would not put them as the worst federation. I just choose not to compete with their rules. Gotcha. Good. I like, I like that answer. Very, very detailed and very, uh, not, not what I was expecting, but I, but that's good. <laughs> I, 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 like, I like the, I all, I liked If I, if somebody doesn't ask that online, I try and plug that in myself Okay. Uh, just because I, I like hearing the different opinions and the different, that's a very different outlook. That's a very different uh, idea, which is pretty cool well especially with this all going online words get words get misconstrued and so if you give a vague answer that's going to be a broad array of interpretations and so i'm I'm trying to be a little more detailed a little more specific about what i'm trying to say no you you i absolutely a thousand percent understand exactly where you're coming from because you did it you 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 spoke it very well um something that people probably don't know is i'm I actually passed the practical and the written exam to get my USAPL referee card. Um, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on APF. I'm going to work on APF, but those meets aren't as local for me. Right. So USAPL is all over the place and mm-hmm. I support powerlifting as a whole. I'm not preferential towards a federation. So I'm going to volunteer at meets and I'm kind of tired of spotting and loading. I'm tired of hauling plates all day. So if I can yeah. sit in a judge's chair, I'll do that. I'm going to be at the meets regardless. Well, hey, that's, you know, everybody listening, giving back to the sport. Prime prime example right there. That's I'm a huge proponent of that. That's, no, that needs to, that's another thing about the younger crowd that I just don't see a lot of is that giving back. It's that, what I mentioned earlier was that take, take, take. Yep. Give nothing back. If I'm at a meet, I'm in the warm-up area whether it's my meet or somebody I'm there helping I, I try to do a few things I try to help some I find the one guy who's there by himself offer a hand you need your shirt set you know your hand off you have anybody handed off to you on the platform you want me to do it cool or uh, run the model lift yeah uh, load plates just help anybody in any way possible go fetch water or coffee for the, some of the judges if, if they need it Um, get back to the sport i feel the exact same way that's awesome that needs to happen that that just that's just part of that's what the sport needs but and like you mentioned the usapl put money back into it doing good things um as much as i hate them but you are mentioning that they are doing that that's true and you can't really knock their pro series that's kind of a cool idea they have a legitimate pro card and they're giving back i think two hundred thousand dollars of prize money awesome i mean it's you, you can't knock what they're doing, but you can knock the rules and the politics behind it. Yeah. Most of, most of my opinion is purely, is, is by experience. Yes. <sighs> but um, my experience with them is why I'm not competing with them anymore. Yeah. Same. same. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They, uh, I always, I joke, I like to, oh, I, I partly am serious, but yeah. I always say that it is, if they would just pay me 140 bucks, oddly specific number but if they would pay me 140 bucks i would never bash them publicly or uh you know internet wise again that that 140 bucks they made me pay because i have an ipf world record uh, yeah and i had to pay for 140 bucks for, for two in order to take the drug test to keep the record which really? i think is yes true story that 09 bench nationals ask anybody who was there uh that broke a world record um they'll tell you that that you had you had to pay them 140 bucks to take to take your own test to keep your record. That's um, interesting. So I had an IPF record and I don't remember getting charged for it. It w- it only happened at the 09 bench nationals okay. in Cleveland, Ohio, at the at the Grand Ballroom Hotel, something something. True story, it sucked. And that's, that's that was crazy. my last That was it. That was the last meal I ever did with them, I think. Um, So they would just pay me 140 bucks. I'll shut my mouth. But until then, they they deny it up and down. They never come clean and say it actually happened. (laughs) I've been kicked off forums and pages multiple times, but it's it's just the way I run business. Anyhow, last question I have from online. Um, How they, they worded it. How did you increase your bench? both raw and equipped. So what's been the key factor for you increasing your raw bench or your equipped bench? Um, so for me, the, the equipped bench, it's getting better with the equipment. I don't know if I'm actually getting stronger. I'm just learning how to use the gear better. Uh, and that's what I like. That's really what I like about Multiply, specifically Multiply is because with multiply, it really comes down to your technique and how how much of a technician you are with that gear. You can have, I mean, you can have people that are dominating the raw world, but it does not carry over to the equipment. Right. And so you can have somebody who squats, say 300 pounds less raw, but still might surpass that, that top level raw lifter mm-hmm. in equipment um, it really comes down to how good you are with the gear. Okay. As far as my raw bench, I, I have a really bad raw bench. I am not the one to talk to. (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah, no, I I don't know. I'm, I'm not good at the raw bench. So I, my best advice would be to figure out where your weak point is and address that. If you're weak at the lockout, get more triceps. If you're weak at the chest, maybe do more speed stuff, more pause stuff, Mm. but or look at your back. Maybe you have a weak back, Yes. but it's, it's addressing the individual. Where's your weak point and then how to, how to fight through that weak point. I, I always tell people, I know it's fun to lift the heaviest amount of weight in your best lift, but you need to do the stuff that you suck at. Uh, if you suck at incline or you suck at close grip, or you if you can bench 500 pounds raw, but you can't incline bench with a close grip, two or three plates obviously you've got a pretty big weakness should probably be doing that more so Mm -hmm. yes i like the answer that's great so do you want to leave the audience with anything else before we wrap this thing up oh boy you know what no i'm i'm gonna i'm just gonna leave them you like it i like that Uh, i'm gonna leave them if they they want to reach out they can reach out to me there you go Uh, every left one of them I don't know if you do this, again, I came from a different world, but uh, Army, uh, were you a drill sergeant or anything like that? Yes, so that's what I've been doing since 2019. Okay, do you have a frog voice or anything like that? I do not, no. So the the Army does it a little bit differently. (laughs) Okay. Um, Okay. You actually, so you actually have to use your voice, and you have to project it as loud as you can, Um, Uh and admittedly, that's one of my weaker points um I still can but I certainly have peers that can yell a whole heck of a lot louder than I can sure sure um and actually right behind me if anybody's watching on YouTube there he is yep um so that's actually not mine so for people watching or people who are just listening I have a drill sergeant hat behind me it's a campaign hat that was actually given to me this last month by my former first sergeant um dude is one of the most hardcore individuals i've ever met he's former special forces he was commissioned at one point he he was a major um decided to go back at the enlisted side worked his way up he was a started as a sergeant on the enlisted side um and then just just worked his way up but ranger, special forces drill sergeant everything dude has 39 and a half years he'll hit 40 in july and be booted out um but he was giving out some of some of his old gear and he gave me one of his old hats. So it's a little bit sentimental. That's what I have hanging up. That's fantastic. Yeah. They'll, they'll be able to see this, uh, when it, when it gets popped up on YouTube. So I Fun. saw that. Like, I wanted to ask, I just didn't know if you had it. If not, I wanted you to do it real quick, but it's okay. Um, oh, I, again, I have I it can, in my closet. I can pull it out real quick. No, yeah, it's not. <laughs> again, I just, uh, different different world when i was, you know, coming from paris island it was all f- different different like th- one guy would have about 10 or 12 different voices it was pretty fucking weird so but uh um i had a buddy that was an expert with accents so uh, every day awesome. he would come out with a different accent and it uh, threw the trainees off so bad like also, he would have a bostonian accent one day the next and he would do it all day and then the next day he would come out with an Australian accent or an English accent or something, a Texan. Like he was just an expert at all of them. And it was too funny. Like that was hilarious. Just watching their, their reactions.
0: Nobody right. knew how to take them.
1: <laughs> that's probably the point though, right? <laughs> oh, it absolutely is. It's, it's all a psychological like. game. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's all. It Fortunately being on the Island, I was older, not like a teenage kid. So I could see the mm-hmm. past the games and just kind of like, what, what are y'all freaking out about there this is part of, i don't know it's just uh, the experience was different for me being that i was on the island at 26 years old and not 18. so right you know, and a little different so i for perspective i went through the academy at 24 years old mm-hmm. um yeah 24 because it was 2019 gotcha. I, i'm getting my years mixed up yeah um, one of i've only done this once but it was a lot of fun um I'm relatively short, I'm five, seven. And so I I fit in kind of right with these trainees. Some of them are just really, really small, like 130 pounds, but for the most part in uniform, I can fit in with them. And so I got one time while we were standing in line for the chow hall, I was behind everybody somebody else was marching the formation and I, I tossed on a PFC ring, I put it on the hat and then put it on the, put it on my chest. Uh, and then I just. Stood in line and hung out with all the trainees and just listened to them talking, you know, talking whisper in line.
0: <laughs> Which is <laughs> one thing they're good.
1: certainly not supposed to do, but, you know, right. standing right there, nobody noticed. I took the badge off. Stealth mode. Yep. That's awesome. That's great. <laughs> it happened to us. I did it to them. That's good. No, that's awesome. I love that shit. That's a good story. Well, uh, everybody, they, Travis, I've had a great experience talking with you. Uh, talking powerlifting, talking a little bit of military in there and everything. So, again, everybody, Travis McKinney, 26 years old. He's been 10 years Army Reserve. He's also a pro uh, raw lifter as well as equipped. He's trying to chase big numbers, trying to total 2,500-plus, uh, trying to break some old, some uh, really old records set by, like, Brian Carroll, Sean Frankel, things of that nature. Really impressive numbers, squatting over 1,000 pounds, damn near 700-pound bench. Deadlifting well over 700 pounds in the 220 weight class that is extraordinarily impressive uh i wanted to thank you very much for being here with me today it was fantastic good talking to you and i'm I'm sure we'll be talking uh very soon anyway uh exchanging notes and things like we normally do so thank you for being here with me again i really appreciate that yeah thank you very much jimmy i do appreciate it um real quick just because i'm sure somebody's gonna somebody's gonna notice um I'm 26, been in the army 10 years. I'm kind of rounding up that number. I'll hit my 10 years in April and my birthday is in February. So I enlisted at 17, there you uh, go. right after my 17th birthday, April 1st, um, or February 21st of my birthday, I enlist, enlisted April 1st, um, 2012. So I'm rounding up, I'll be 10 years in April. Yeah, very, very close for anybody yeah. that was getting real specific and doing the math there you go there's an explanation for it so i'm that i'm that kind of person if i hear something like that that doesn't add up i'm like well really yeah so no i did not enlist at 16 years old gotcha thank thank you for clarity i mean i understood kind of where you were coming from thank you for clarifying for anybody that was getting a little antsy and doing the numbers crunching the numbers so yeah i'm that Uh, type of guy i would do it i love (laughs) it no thank you for doing that and thank you again for being here. I want you to have a good rest of your Monday and then a good rest of your week, and then you reach out anytime you need something. Thank you very much, Jimmy. I do appreciate it. Keep in touch. Absolutely, buddy. Thank you. Yep. Have a good one.